0: Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, guys, go ahead and stand up with me. If you'd open up your Bibles, we are gonna start at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14. I'm glad you're here this morning. You sure do look pretty this morning. Isn't the weather beautiful? Only in Oklahoma, 115 a couple days ago, Threw a pool party yesterday for some of my daughter's friends, and the water was warmer than the outside. It was nuts. And those little dudes, man, they just jumped in there. They went to town. They didn't care. Us adults, no, we're good. We're good. We're gonna cook hot dogs and watch y'all jump in the water. That's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna squirt you with water on occasion, but uh, but we do certainly welcome you and we appreciate the weather. Um, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Father, our heart is bowed to you. Speak to our hearts, we pray. You are awesome. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wave at your neighbor. Let them know you're glad that they are here. Thank you so much for joining us by whatever device you're streaming by. And know that you're important, and we love you. I asked for permission to do this so I wouldn't catch anybody off guard, but I got a text from my friend today. And today is the fifth anniversary of Dow Panel's funeral. We celebrated his homegoing. And Cheryl, would you stand up here and your beautiful daughter, Lisa, there? Can we give them a round of applause? We want to honor them. And we love them so very, very much. Yes. Dow Panel was an amazing man. Can I get an amen on that? For you guys that don't know him, he was a wonderful, wonderful pastor here. Did many, many things in the community, many, many things with people in the church, just loved Jesus, loved his family, loved people, had just an unreal ability to connect with people. Now, you might think, Matt, you're talking like you know him. No, I didn't know him, but I've heard enough about him that I think I know him. That's how you know legacy matters, when people are talking about the goodness that you did even after your life, and you're with Christ Jesus our Lord. And today we celebrate him, and we remember the good things that he did and the people that he influenced. So I just want to take time to do that, give honor where honor is due. Here, as we jump into Scripture, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, we're going to look at Daniel, but the reason why I've decided to stand here or start here is because I want us to think about people in the Bible. We look at the matriarchs and the patriarchs of the Bible, and we ask ourselves, were they just appointed to be that person, to do that thing, and there's no way that I can do some of the things that they did? And the answer is No. God's not a respecter of persons. Now, I believe we have to look into the word of God and see that place and that era and that time and know that God can still do a work inside of me. It may look a little different, but he can still do that. And here, as we read Proverbs, it helps us understand the backslider. What that means is the person who perpetually moves away from Christ. The person who God know, he knows that God or she knows that God is calling them to do something, his ways is just another way of saying a person's ways here in the Old Testament. And, and the backslider, the word really means that it's somebody who perpetually pushes God away and moves further and further. God's calling them to something, yet they step back and back and back. Maybe it's that person who knew God at one time but has turned their back on God and they're moving the other way. And here it's helping us understand that the person who wants to move towards God will see those fruits in their heart. And that is great news. But the person who doesn't will also reap those fruits because what you reap is what you sow. And here as we look in Daniel and we start our new series, Good with Different, as Christians we just have to be good knowing that we're a little weird. We're kind of weird in a good way though. Our different is okay. Our different is hopefully based on Scripture. Now, if you're a weird, weird, that's your problem. And if you don't think you're weird, you're probably the weird person. It really. I hate to break the news to you, but you're probably that person. I think everybody else is weird. No, that's probably you. You can't carry lightsabers into Walmart dressed like Yoda, okay? Not always good. Not always good. I'm kidding. I know some of you guys are Star Wars fans. I'm kidding. Not always good. But here we have to be good with different in our life, that God has called us to a life that is different than the world. We look different, we speak different, we act different, we raise our kids different, our family lives are different than from what the world. We conduct business different, and we don't just pray to the universe, we pray to a specific God, Jesus Christ, and he hears our prayers. We're different. And that's exciting news. And as I was reading about Daniel here, I was thinking, what made him so different? And it's interesting because he was just good with it. He didn't change according to culture. Right now, what I see happening, with all due respect to the church as a holistic approach, across America particularly, is it's looking more and more like the world. And I challenge anybody, as they get into a church, does it look like the world? Does it just appease people and things like that? Or is the word of God preached? Conviction falls, lives are changed. Christians are brought closer to the cross, closer to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Daniel lived a life that caused those things to happen despite a culture that was counter what we would consider Christian. It was counter. And he did some things that are very, very important. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Now I'm going to preach this like I feel it. So if I get a little preachy, just forgive me up front. But I'm going to preach kind of like I feel this morning. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food and with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now let's catch up to this verse. So Daniel has decided not to defile himself. And if you're familiar with the story, um, many of the Hebrew children had been taken in captive by the Babylonian empire, the Chaldeans. There are several different terms that you might know. Maybe you don't know, but if they're referred to, that's what they're talking about. And they've been taken into captivity. And Daniel and some of his friends have been pulled out amongst them as men and that they see that, that, that are smart and intelligent and, and have some things going on. And the king says, I want to pour into their life and teach them the Chaldean ways. And I want to teach them the Babylonian ways and, and, and educate them. And he's been selected. And he's been selected to come into the king's palace and, and be a part of that group. But he has an issue because internally, it's not about prestige, it's not about more stuff for him. He's made a consecrated life to God and he's made up his mind that he will not defile himself. And as Christians, we have to make up our mind as culture challenges us, as culture changes and we know it's gonna wax worse and worse, that we have to make up our mind that as we stand before God, we will not defile ourselves with the ways of culture. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, we are not willing to accept it. Now that doesn't mean we can be nasty and hated and, ha- and show hatred. Jesus never did that. Matter of fact, that's the reason why he was hated because he was so full of his father God that he would walk into towns and heal them all and people didn't understand that. And they would respond in violent ways. They would respond in ways that would push him out. And in Daniel, what made Daniel so different, Daniel chapter one, verse 19, it says this, that none was found like Daniel. What made Daniel so different? Why would the scripture record this? This is the holy writ that we base our life off of. Thousands and thousands of years of stories, yet there's one man named Daniel that was caught up in his era and time, and what was written is there was none like him. Oh God, that as Christians we could live a life where people could look at Ray, of Hope, could look at our families and say they're different. I have a hard time finding people like that because they're consecrated to the Lord. And there is coming a time when we'll have to make those hard decisions. Now, come on now, don't get quiet on me here. I ain't, gonna be, I ain't gonna be too mean here. We're gonna have to curl up our toes a little bit though. Okay, God already been stepping on mine all week, so don't feel like you're alone here. But Daniel here, there was none like Daniel. And many times we think being relevant in culture is we have to look like it, we have to smell like it, and we have to act like it, and that is not true. To be relevant in culture, we have to learn how to address culture, how to answer questions and not back down from it. And know that we have the source of the authority of the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit in our life, and we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. To be relevant in culture is to be able to address it and communicate with it. The, the, the amazing thing about the blessing of God is that despite culture trying to push us out and push out Christian ways, that we still excel and we gain more influence and we gain more ground. And people from the outside look out and say, we've done everything that we possibly can to ruin your life except for you continue to excel. I know because it's the blessing of God on our life. It's nothing that we've done. And we look into the story and we peer into Daniel's story and that's exactly what happens. He was good with being different. He was good with not being like culture And there are some things that we see. First thing that I want to talk about quickly is he avoided some snares. Now snares is just a fancy word for traps. But he avoided some snares in his life. And snares are spoken throughout the Bible. In Psalms 142, David is in a cave and he's running for his life. Now, this is King David. And he begins to write this psalm. And you know how David writes psalms. David writes psalms like, oh, God, where are you? I've lost you. I feel like the world is against me. Ah!" And then towards the end of the psalm, he's like, but I know you're still good, so I'm just going to trust you. Let's go. That's how how he writes the psalm. No different here. He starts out, God, I feel like everybody's forsaken me. Where are you at? They want to kill me. And then towards the last of the psalm, he's like, but you are my portion, you are my refuge. You are, you know, I wonder if he's clapping in the cave like I'm doing. I don't know. Maybe getting some rhythm, which is not what I have. Bad, I know. But David, towards the end of the psalm, he does that. But right there in the middle, he does something very peculiar. He says, but men have laid snares for me. And I need your help, God. You know, many times in our world that we live in, culture people who are not Christian cannot wait to see a Christian trip and fall and will even lay snares out before them. You know how it works out. Your compadres at the job that you work at begin to pull you into a joke that you don't need to be in. Begin to pull you into a conversation that you know you shouldn't be. Begin to show you some things. Maybe it's, it's with extended family members and they do things that get on your nerves to see if you won't bust a gasket and, and get angry and then they can say, see, Whoa, oh, come on now. But snares are very, very real. We know in 1 Timothy, Paul looks at his young protege and says, hey, there's going to be some snares, and he picks out two people groups. He says, listen, there's going to be some snares laid for people in leadership by the enemy, by the world, and by man. Why would snares be laid for leadership? Because they know if they can bring down the leader, there's a lot more that falls. If you can bring down the man of his household, it seems like the wife and the children fall too. Come on now. You can take down businesses and different things like that by taking down leaders. You shoot the pastor, man, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of temptation there, and they lay out snares. And Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, say, listen now, you can't do that. But he also talks about the rich. Now, we also have to have a, a scheme of this. Because in America, people who even live on welfare is richer than most of the world. Right. So it's matter. So you might look across, well, I don't have the means of them. Yeah, but what are you doing with the means that you have? because there's are snares laid out to pull us away and get our hearts away from Christ. Again. And here we see that he writes again in 2 Timothy. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 26. He says, now, Timothy, you're gonna have some opponents. Oh, this is when it really doesn't get fun. Yeah. He said, you're gonna have some opponents that's gonna come up against you and they're gonna lay snares for you. Uh-huh. And they're gonna try to entrap you and take you away from what God has called you to do and you have to fight it. Now, this is the hard thing about an Opponent is that sometimes your opponents can be your Christian brothers and sisters. Because we're not perfect, and sometimes we can be influenced by spirits that we don't need to be influenced by. Jesus is walking out of the city of Samaria that's just rejected him. Peter looks at him and says, let's firebomb the whole city, and they'll remember you. This is the question that Jesus asked Peter. What spirit are you in? Or you don't know the spirit that you're in. He says, I didn't come to destroy life. I came that people may have life. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, there's going to be some snares laid for you. There's going to be some opponents that you're going to have. You better be ready for some opposition. They can't wait to bring you down. And we look into Scripture and we see that with Timothy because he's always concerned about, it looks like to me, he's concerned about his youth and where he came from and different things. If you really read the writings of Paul, Paul addresses some of that stuff. And you and I are no different. We have some snares that we face. And as I look at Daniel, the first snare that I really see here is the snare of splurge. Daniel has an opportunity to be caught in the trap of splurging. It's whenever you should've only ate one donut and you ate a dozen donuts. Splurging. You go to Walmart and you mean you spend fifty dollars and you come out and you have a whole basket full of stuff and you don't know what you had but you had a really good time. You know what I mean? You splurged. Okay, we're not talking about going to <laughs> we're not talking about going to Brahms and getting whipped cream, okay, instead of just chocolate. All right, on your, on your Sunday. That's not what splurge is. Here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel restored that he, uh, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food and wine that he drank. He had an opportunity to live it up, man. I'm going to go into the king's palace and be a part of that, and it's on the king's bill, and I can drink and eat whatever I wanted to. And they were trying to ensnare him into that trap. And he looked at him and said, I will not fall for that trap. I have resolved in my heart that I will not fall for indulgence, for splurging. God has something for his life. Now, how does that translate to our life? God has something for your life, but you can't quit swiping that credit card. Now you're in debt over your head. God is creating something in your life and maybe creating another revenue stream or something, but you're addicted now, and you got to do business after business after business, and it's pulled your attention away from what God is trying to get you to do over here. You find different ways to splurge and you're running out of energy. It's what we do many times as millennials with our kids. We take them to everything in the world and we leave out church and we wonder why they like they are sometimes. The good news is everybody's had a good time though. Daniel said, I'm not into having good times. I've consecrated my life before God. You guys still with me? You still love me? I know this is tough. I've had to repent this week too. But it's the snare of splurge that we see. And there's another snare here. We see the snare of self. We see the snare of self. Check this out. Daniel chapter one, verse eight, it continues. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And you gotta love Daniel. Daniel didn't walk in there and be like, hey, do you like my swag? That's my swag right there. He didn't walk in there and be like, hey, I'm a good Hebrew boy. I don't eat this garbage. Push it away and turn my plate up. I'm not for that. He didn't get into that whole self-arrogance. You know, the people who wear all the Jesus shirts and the bumper stickers and the hat, and they cannot wait for somebody to ask them a Christian because they cannot wait to argue with them. Yeah, we know that. How many Jesus shirts do you think Jesus wore? How many Jesus bumper stickers did he have on the back of his camel? Think about it. No, the Father father God was so strong in his life that when he walked into town, he didn't have to say very much. Matter of fact, upon his christening, he opened up the word of God, and he he began to read out Isaiah, and he said, this is before you now. Uh And people said, man, there ain't nobody that spoke with that much authority before I've ever heard. But he he wouldn't fall for self. And Daniel here, he didn't bust the doors down and say no. Instead, he went respectfully. He went humbly. He didn't have a life of arrogance. He, he went to the chief of the eunuchs and said, listen, this is what I'm struggling with. Will you allow me to not defile myself? And he did it humbly. And in our life, it's what happens when we get the raise or we get the promotion at work and we think we got it. As opposed to God opening up the door for us because He wants us to have more influence so we can draw more people to the kingdom of God. There's different relationships and maybe political positions we have when we have that influence over people. If we're not careful, we can think, what well, was my hard work? It was my grit. It was this, it was that. Oh, really? We can easily fall in that and we can all do that. We can all do that. A final snare here is the snare of systems we see. That Satan uses systems, Daniel chapter one, verse nine, and he gave Daniel favor. So this is God, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. See, now he's a part of the group. Before he went, and he kind of stood from the outside and said, hey, I don't want to defile myself. Now, all of a sudden, God pours on his favor and compassion, and he's opened up to the systems of Babylon. He's opened up to the systems. Now, go with me here. We see a, a different phase. All of a sudden, he has compassion. All of a sudden, he has a little bit of clout. He has a little bit of say. And he, he's, he's beginning to open up his life to some of the systems. And if he's not careful, he begins to look at those systems more than he looks at God. And now the systems become the God instead of God staying God. It's what happens to many of our college kids when they move off to college and all of a sudden they begin to be influenced by all these professors that are totally anti-God. And then they begin to question what God is and who God is, and what God can do. And those questions aren't bad, except for they've left God behind, and now what they're doing is feeding themselves all those different things and leaving God behind. And the system begins to be their God, and not God continue to be their God. It's for the business members that that that, that look up and begin to that there are some systems that you have to operate by in in the world, but we are not meant to latch onto those and those become our source. The systems are not our source. God is our source. The systems are a resource. Yeah. Yeah. But many times things are going well, everything's going good. Now all of a sudden I got to work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it, and what God has called me to do kind of gets pushed on the back burner. And we fall into the snare of system, and Daniel has that. I mean, he's in the king's palace. He could begin to learn and do, and he was intelligent and he was chosen, and he was all the things that Satan uses to puff us up. Now if you're looking at this and you say, "Man, that sounds very familiar, it should. It should sound very familiar. Remember when Jesus was tempted? He was tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life? It's the same thing we see here in Daniel. It's the same thing that we see. He could have relied on himself. He could have chosen to drink the thing and give into his flesh. Or he could have said, listen, I'm smart enough to work this system. I can go forget God and do what I need to do. It's the same thing that Christ was tempted with. Then we fast forward. The apostle John clues us in. The apostle John clues us in here. In First John chapter two, verse sixteen, for all that is in the world. Now, this is the Apostle John, the beloved, the one that had his head on, chest, on Christ's bosom, and he was the beloved. And he said, "For all that is in the world, check this out: the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from fa- it is not from the Father, but from the world." There's snares that we can fall into where God has given us that privilege. He's given us that place, but it's not so we can have more stuff. Is that a benefit? Yes, that's absolutely a benefit. I'd like to buy Cali a bicycle on occasion too. Let's be real here. But that's not what it's all about. It's about what God has called us to be and build his kingdom. And my mindset goes back to that. And it's not from the Father, it's from the world, and we can all fall into those snares. We can all fall into those, th- those traps that will keep us from reaching what God has wanted us to reach. Could you imagine if Daniel fell into those? God wouldn't have been able to use him like he used him to reach an entire culture. And Daniel embraced that, why? Because he was good with different. And we just have to be good with different. Those snares are something that can reach up and grab us if we're not careful, if we don't have our eyes peeled, but what we notice is if we fight those, that God opened up some doors for Daniel. God gave him a set of tools, not only to fight those, but to fight the culture that he was a part of, to fight the world that he was a part of that he had no say in. And as we look into scripture, we see in verse, in verse nine that God gave him favor and compassion. Think about that, God gave him favor and compassion, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion. That is an amazing tool to have, and if you think about it, it's a wonderful balance. You need favor to open up doors. We need favor to start conversations. We need favor to really have the position so we can influence and do the things that we need to do. But many times we want the favor, not the compassion. You know what the compassion is? The compassion is the responsibility that we have because we have favor. So we have favor in our life, and God allows us to to be places and do things that we never thought. But at the same time, he says, I'm going to add compassion to your life. Because what compassion does, it does two things for me. As I look on people and I have compassion, I can see where I could have been or where I can be. Where I could be. If God, hasn't, if God didn't come into my life in the eighth grade, if God didn't begin to speak some stuff into my life, and I don't know your salvation, maybe it was at the altar, maybe it was in the car, maybe it was at your house, maybe it was with the family. I don't know where it was at, but that time that Christ came into your life, and you know if he didn't come into your life, then how much different it would be. And we look at a world that's lost and fallen, we have compassion. Jesus had so much compassion, he would show up to a town and he would heal them all after he's exhausted, after he's tired after he's ran out of one city and went to another, then ca- compassion helps us where we understand that for many people, we're only four or five decisions away from really wrecking it all, aren't we? We look at somebody and it gets hard. Now we're gonna, we're gonna continue to get real, it gets hard. And we, we kinda get judgy, don't we? So my wife says to me, she goes, sometimes you're just judgy. I'm like, we gotta make a judgment call on occasion. But sometimes we get that in our spirit, and, and we, we kind of get that complex of the tax. Uh, we kind of get that complex of the Pharisee at the front of the church, and, and the story in Matthew where he says, "I thank God that I'm not like that guy." And we don't have compassion, and compassion moves us where we realize that God has it not been for the grace, has it not been for, had it not been for the Holy Spirit speaking to me and showing me that things are wrong before I went there and did that. God gripped my heart and gave me conviction. Had it not been for those things, I could be in a million different places and none of them are good. Favor and compassion is the balance. But he also goes on, he gives them what? Verse 17, he gave them the learning and skill in literature. He gave them the reality that they could gain and retain knowledge. I mean, what a wonderful skill. In our culture today, knowledge is so easy to gain. It's so easy to gain. That's what it means by by gain and retain knowledge. They not only could understand and have skill, but they also had this thing called wisdom too. Very important. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. You know, it's great to have knowledge, but you can say the wrong thing, or excuse me, you can say the right thing at the wrong time, and you can say the right thing to the wrong person. Oh my goodness, that can get you in all kinds of, of trouble. And you find yourself in a place where we have to have wisdom. I mean, we can almost Google anything and figure out how to do it. This morning, early on, I was messing with the garage door. So I watched a one-minute YouTube video. Now I'm a garage door expert. Y'all you know, didn't know that, did you? Yeah, I watched a minute video. What else do I got to do? You yeah, I'm a spurt, man. I'm a spurt. Well, in our life, in our culture, that's how it happens sometimes. We have the ability to gain the knowledge. But if we don't have the wisdom. And here we see that God gave them the tools, the wisdom to be able to handle the knowledge so they could study the matriarchs and the patriarchs of their society they could understand the systems and they could study everything that happened and then god gave them the wisdom to navigate that so that they can become influential in their country or in their culture and they could be good with being different they could go pray they could go daniel could do the things that he needs to do but god granted him wisdom a wisdom that surpassed the many many uh, surpassed everybody really at the time There was no one like Daniel. And finally, we see a supernatural gift that Daniel had. Daniel chapter one, verse 17. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Think about that. What a supernatural gift that he had in all visions and dreams. You know what we have? We have the Holy Spirit that wants to be turned loose in our life. And we shouldn't be scared of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. God's Spirit's on our life maybe it will be a word that he will speak to you that you're supposed to share for somebody now remember we have the knowledge but we also need wisdom so when do i apply this right but we shouldn't be nervous about that maybe god is moving on you in a supernatural way that's what he did and we should not we should not push the holy spirit away but rather we should embrace it yeah we've all seen crazy weird things okay we've seen that but the holy spirit is to comfort lead and guide us So that means that we're going to be different. So we're going into situations, hopefully with knowledge that we didn't have before. We're going into situations with a little bit of protection because the Holy Spirit is alive in our heart. Here he had a supernatural gift of being able to see visions and help people with dreams. My wife is a dreamer from time to time. My wife doesn't always have dreams, but on occasion she has dreams. And we were a part of a church that was having an extremely rough time many years ago. There was a lot of turmoil in the church, you could feel it. There was a lot of uncertainty in the church. My wife went to sleep one night. She woke up and she shared this dream with me. She said, Matt, because we all had questions and we wanted the church to survive and continue. She said, Matt, I had a dream that we were all in a plane together and something malfunctioned on that plane and we were headed for a crash landing and nosedive. And then all of a sudden this big hand out of the heavens reached down and grabbed that airplane and landed it on the runway, and we were okay. And I was thinking about that the other day, and it sounds absurd. It sounds absurd to people who don't understand it, but they don't have the Holy Spirit that works in their life that reveals things, the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And if yours is love, you work love. If it's patience, if it's kindness, whatever the fruit of it is or whatever the gift of it is, you work it and rely on God to continue to use it in your life because he wants to. But Matt, that's going to make me different. Good, because we're good with different. We're good with different. To be extremely effective in our culture and what God has called us to do, we have to be good with different. There's three things that Daniel brought to the table, and this is where I end for you guys today. Three things that Daniel brought to the table. Because remember, our actions make God move. If we look through scripture, we hear things like this. One of the famous verses, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, so if my people do something, I'm going to do something. James chapter 4 says, if you humble yourselves, he will exalt you. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. So God's movement is based off of our faith and action. So God wants to move on our behalf and do things. You notice that everything that we read in Daniel, it didn't happen until after Daniel began to move. He made up his mind he wasn't gonna devile himself. He went to the eunuch and then the compassion and favor came. He began to see visions and all these things after he began to move and what God told him to move. And there's some things that he did, first thing that I see that he did, he had a willingness to learn. He had a willingness to learn the culture. Now there's a difference between allowing the culture to become God and a willingness to learn the culture. How can we act how can we activate ourselves? How can we move? We shouldn't be so scared of the culture. Should it repulse us sometimes? I hope so, because some of the things in culture is a debauchery before God. And it should. But it doesn't give us any right to be hateful or angry or mean. But at the same time, it doesn't give us any right to to do everything. I was speaking to some graduates the other day, and I said, The worst advice that's been given to graduates is you're about to go to college or tech school or whatever you're about to do, try everything. I said, That's the most dumb advice you could get. Don't try everything. A, there's not enough of you to go around. B, half the stuff you're going to try is going to ruin your life. Don't try everything. So us willing to learn culture doesn't give us the right to go out there and and do whatever we want to, but we have to have a willingness to learn. We have to have a willingness to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and say, God, I'm sitting at the table. Teach me, speak to me, show me. He also had a willingness to endure. Oh, can you imagine? For 10 days, he said, listen, I'm not gonna defile myself, and he made a deal with the eunuch. He said, listen, for 10 days, I'm gonna eat water and vegetables. And then at the end of the 10 days, we'll see which one is better. Hey, if you've gone any length of fasting at all, you know how difficult that is. Now let's put this in perspective. Daniel comes in. Every day he's faced with the choice wine and the choice meat, yet he chooses water and vegetables for 10 days. That's endurance. A couple days ago, or I say a couple weeks ago, I was fasting for some stuff. And if you've ever fasted, you know you kind of seclude yourself. You kind of get separate because it seems like every food that you've never smelled before, you get to smell that week or three days or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? You can smell stuff. You smell water. I mean, it's crazy, okay? (laughs) And I was fasting a while back and I kind of pulled back and was doing my stuff and I had to go to, to, um, to Hobby Lobby for something. I thought, how bad could this be? I'm just gonna go to Hobby Lobby. Worst they have is a candy aisle. It'll be okay. I got a call on the way there and Miss Lakita said, hey Matt, I need you to get me something from Sam's. (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) Sam's is really a bakery with really good snacks. And they have the dollar hot dogs that are like $1.50 in a drink, and the big piece of pizza. And you don't think about these things until you have to walk in Sam's and you haven't eaten in a couple days. And $3 is really cheap (laughs) for a big piece of pizza. And I'm like, oh! God, I will not defile myself. (laughs) But if you've ever done that, imagine his situation. He has this endurance that he digs deep and he begins to say, Listen, for 10 days I will do this. And then imagine this that they were so impressed that everybody did it, so for the next three years he had to do it. Oh man, some of us, a jelly donut that big will whip us all over the auditorium, man. But he had this uncanny ability to have endurance and you and I must have endurance that we have made up our mind that there will be things that we will do to honor God. And we know that it's gonna cost us. We know it's not gonna be fun. We know at times that God will speak to us and we'll feel like God. We'll feel like David. God, where are you at? You've forsaken me. What's going on here? But we must endure. We batten down the hatches. We dig in our heels and say, God, we will do what you've called us to do. And then what we'll begin to see is we'll begin to reap where we won't get caught up in the snares. God will show his favor and his compassion on us. He'll begin to open up our eyes and we can work with culture because we're good with different. And finally, the last thing is a willingness to be held accountable. And the crowd goes quiet. It's either because we're hungry or we hate the word accountability. I'm gonna say both. He was willing to be accountable. He He said, eunuch, which he didn't probably say eunuch, probably calling by the name, but he said, hey, well, let's try this, and in 10 days, you come back and test me. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Being held accountable is not fun. But what released the spirit of God in Daniel's life is he was willing to be held accountable. He was willing to say, let's see this. And then it shows that every time the king called, he showed up. He interpreted visions and dreams. I mean, it was amazing to the accountability that he was willing to be held to. And in our life, to really be what we need to be in culture, to be good with different, we have to be willing to be held with accountability because we live in a culture that is pushing accountability to the side as fast as they can get it. If we can play the blame game or cancel culture or whatever we want to say, that's where people live. And we as Christians must not live there. If it's our fault, we take responsibility for it and we do the best that we can to be accountable because one day we will be held accountable and it will be before God. It's appointed unto one, once unto man to die and then the judgment. And we will be held accountable. Did we accept Christ? Did we follow him? Did we love him? But there's also another type of accountability where we know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we will have crowns and trophies or whatever you want to call them in heaven. And we will throw them before his feet. And this is the thing. The things that we've done will be passed through fire. And the hay and the stubble will be burned up. And the things that last will last. And every one of us that are in here are imperfect. So some of the things of ours will get burned up. But whatever passes through it, we throw at his feet. Because we know it's from him. But we will be held accountable. So every time we hold ourselves accountable on earth, we're practicing for that day when we stand before our Lord and Savior. And to be good with different, we have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be accountable for my body. I'm going to be accountable for my mind. I'm going to be accountable for the things that you've called me to be accountable for. And it's difficult. And I don't know where you stand today. I don't know your situation. And we don't want to scare you. We don't want to use a fear tactic. But we do know because we believe that the word of God holds all authority. There's nowhere else we need to look. And we're good with that because we're different. We believe that we can base our life off of it and raise our kids off the word of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us that Jesus Christ is the one true living God. Supreme sacrifice for our sins. That's different thinking. You're right. We're good with it. And if you're in the place this morning, or you're on the other side of the camera, and you say, I haven't made that decision to really follow Christ. I haven't made that decision. And on that day when he asks and holds me accountable, I won't be able to say, yes, we can fix that today. Today can be your day. Can David, can day today can be the day where you ask Christ into your heart and you make him Lord of your life. And we don't want to use fear tactics. Oh, no, no, that's not what we're about because we know as you love Christ and you follow Christ, and you do the things that he's called you to do, amazing things will open up in your life. And there will will be amazing things that will happen here on earth. It doesn't mean that it's get out of jail free card. Can I? Yeah, You know what I mean? There's gonna be some things we still face and things we don't understand. But we know that we're not facing it alone because God is with us. For my fellow brothers and sisters, hey, we all face snares. The point is not to live in that snare, to get out, repent, and get out. We all face things that God is using us and we're kind of scared to jump out and do, but if we will allow God to place the tools in our life and then use those tools, we can be extremely effective in the culture that we're seeing. Then ultimately, God, what are you calling me to bring to the table? What are you asking me to bring? And I want to make sure that I bring that. Would you bow with me?